So, uh, as you heard, I'm going to be speaking to you about the uh, third and, and final manifestation of the anointing of Jesus in our lives, and that is towards kingship. And I've slightly modified my title because I'm not going to speak so much about you and I ruling and reigning with Christ. That would be dealing with the matter of prophecy. Because every word about us ruling and reigning with Christ has to do with the future. In the moment, right now, we're in training for reigning. But one of the ways that we train to reign is to know our spiritual authority. So a slightly refined title, Discover Your Spiritual Authority. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Let's pray. Father, we ask as we bring this series to a conclusion that this message will send us out in the power of your Holy Spirit, not just having heard your word, but using your word in faith and taking authority over situations and circumstances, over principalities and powers in uh, operating in and around us. We ask also, Lord, that you would give us the grace to rise to who we are in Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. Give us this revelation, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the passage I want to read is Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 21 through to 28. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, 21 to 28. And uh, this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. I've chosen Mark's Gospel because he gets straight to the point and packs these opening chapters of, my, of his Gospel full of revelation and content. And therefore it suits my purpose to introduce this theme of spiritual authority. Verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet! Come out of him! And when the unclean spirit had convulsed and cried out with a loud voice, I won't do that voice, okay. He came out of him. Verse 27. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now, I'm not going to get caught up in this, but I can't resist to make this point at the very beginning. Isn't it interesting that doctrine is always associated with authority in Scripture? It says, what doctrine is this? What teaching is this with authority? In other words, it's not enough for us just to have doctrine. People can have death by degrees and go to university to prove it. Other people can, can speak and preach and teach and I suppose it's okay, but the Bible way is the doctrine, the teaching of God with the authority of the Holy Spirit. My Bible teaching series, The Sword of the Spirit, I recommend it to you. I'm encouraged these days how many different churches and different nations are taking it in their own language across the world. Almost every day we're hearing people who want to translate the material and use it. 
This material is going out every day, four or five times a day, right across the Arabic-speaking world with Arabic subtitles. And I didn't even have to learn Arabic in order for it to happen. And uh, it's entitled, The Sword of the Spirit. Because we believe in this church in the doctrine, the teaching of God's Word, the Word, and the Spirit. And so we focus on this right the way throughout everything else. We don't believe that evangelism is complete until we prayed for the sick. We don't believe that a service is complete without people having had the opportunity to receive from Jesus Christ personally and directly through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now let me recap for you. I spent the first session talking about Jesus, who is our great prophet, priest and king. Jesus, as the Son of God, was anointed as Christ, anointed. And his anointing touches at least these three areas. Jesus is the anointed prophet who spoke the very message of God. He is the anointed high priest, the one who even now is in the presence of God making intercession for us. And he is also the king, ruling and reigning now in the heavenly realms and one day shall return to establish his kingdom and manifest that kingdom throughout the whole of the universe and ultimately and finally hand the kingdom authority back to the Father so that everything will be under the control of God himself. And that's how our focus should be, always upon Jesus. And these anointings are his anointings. And this ministry is his ministry. However, it reflects on us in some way. And he calls us to speak with uh, prophetic authority. He calls us to serve with a priestly ministry. And he also calls us to exercise the authority of the kingdom of God. Now God wants you to discover your spiritual authority because you have a work to do. This isn't just learning how to scream at devils. This isn't just learning how to make great faith statements. This is about how to get things done in the name of Jesus so the gospel of Jesus Christ can grip people's hearts and change our world. And the kingdom of God is coming increasingly in our lives. The kingdom is, the kingdom is coming, and the kingdom is yet to come. And in this present manifestation of the kingdom of God, we, know, we need to know how to receive his authority, surrender to his authority, and exercise it on his behalf. Now, as I said earlier, every statement about our kingly function as believers is in the future tense. We are in training for reigning. But there is one powerful scripture which is an exception to this. I should say every reference, bar one, is in the future. And this one is so striking, I want you to look at it. Romans 5 verse 17. This is the only scripture where we are called right now to rule and reign. Romans 5 verse 17. For it is by, for if by, the one man's offense, that's Adam's sin, death reigned through the one, how much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. God has called you to rule and reign in life. So this ministry has already begun. There are certain things that he wants you to exercise authority over. And when we study this in its context, it's talking about the grace of God that brings to us the free gift of righteousness, which is the foundation of our authority. Think about it. If the devil's kingdom is operating in us, 
How can we in any way, in all good conscience, stand up on behalf of the kingdom of God? So this is about learning how to lay hold of God's kingdom right now and exercise that authority first of all over our lives and then over other situations. And so the first person to conquer is yourself. And we need to come against all the things that influence us that are taking us away from Christ. And so remember the first spirit that you need to rule over is your own spirit. And if you can't keep and control your own spirit, don't think you're going to impress any demonic activity. Don't think that you're going to make it out there in the world uh, and represent Jesus Christ. And so that's why when I hear of people fighting and squabbling in church environment, it distresses me. It is time we understood that God has given us authority, first of all, to rule over ourselves. Not over the person next to us, but over ourselves. So, we need to rebuke our own <laughs> kind of tendency at times to get, in, get involved in the wrong stuff and open the door to the wrong kind of stuff. But as I said, that's not my topic for today. And as we reign in life, we are in training for reigning. The only way you can learn to exercise authority is to begin to do it as God gives you grace. In Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 6 it says, But God is rich in, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. There are two aspects of this togetherness. First of all, we are together with Christ. God treats us together with Christ. Any blessing that's coming to Christ is ours. Katika jina la Yesu in the name of Jesus. Amen. But we are seated together in Christ. In other words, you can't say, well, I, I have authority because I know the name of Jesus. Uh, we need to say, this is something we do together. We share together. So unity is always the basis of believers exercising authority. Indeed, if two or three are agreed, if you can get even two believers to agree, that's a greater miracle than raising from the dead. But if you can get two believers to agree, we are invincible. Imagine if we had a whole congregation of people in agreement. Imagine if the whole of Kensington Temple, London City Church, were in agreement together. We could take the city. No, 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 no. Let's not play around with tiny molehills we could take the nation for God so it's all about agreement if Jesus tried to exercise his authority out of agreement with the father it would never have worked because his authority was in submission to and in agreement with the father's authority and so we have to work on the understanding of our unity and how we come together in agreement and we can be invincible. Now you know I think that one of the main reasons why the churches are not as effective and believers are not as effective as we might be considering all the truths that are about to pour forth from this pulpit concerning who we really are in Christ. One of the main reasons is because of our lack of unity and and disagreement can you imagine if the believers really stood together heart to heart 
shoulder to shoulder, cheek by jowl, raising our, our shields of faith and, and lancing our spears of prayer, not at each other, but at the real enemy. Amen. That excites me. Are you excited? Katika jina la Yesu. Amen and amen amen. That's just in case there's some Kenyans watching. There are a few. God bless you. All right. Let's launch now into the subject properly. All this begins, of course, with the authority of Jesus Christ. I read that passage because it is one of the first passages that we come to in the Gospels where so much of Jesus' authority is evident. He has authority in his teaching, not as the scribes who are teaching you know other people's opinions Jesus spoke with authority please continue to pray for the preachers and teachers of this church that when we speak it will not be our words but words given with the authority of the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit spiritual truths expressed in spiritual words true utterance under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and one of the signs of that authority was demons couldn't take it they could not take it uh, and it should be that a demon should not be able to sit in a meeting and say ah, what's that well that's called the Word of God my friend hallelujah I'll tell you something in a few moments you're gonna have William Lee preaching the gospel to the in the evening service and I'll tell you there'll be no unsaved people that could stand in the presence of that evangelistic anointing they'll just have to say here I am Jesus I need you come into my life and so pray and pray and pray uh, for your leaders and indeed for your cell leaders and for you that you'll be moving in the authority of Jesus Christ so that people will know that God is real he had authority to forgive sins mark 2 verse 10 the authority to forgive sins and he said I say which is easier to say son your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk don't discuss amongst yourselves which is easier it's part of the same thing Jesus has authority to forgive every sin and Jesus has authority to heal every disease and we share in that authority he has authority over nature. He could still the storm. Authority over sickness, as I just said. Authority over death. Praise God. This is the authority of Jesus Christ. It's the authority of the kingdom of God. In Mark, Matthew 12, 28, Jesus said, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then in that other passage, don't worry about exhibiting it, I'll just write it down, get you to write it down, Matthew 11 verses 1 to 6, the conversation between John's disciples and Jesus, when John sent his disciples to Jesus and say, you know, it hasn't quite worked out as I expected, I'm here in prison, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus said, go and tell John what you see and hear. At that very moment, the gospel was being preached, and signs and wonders were happening, the deaf were hearing, the blind were seeing, lepers were being cleansed, amen people were being saved and he says now go and tell John of course I am the Messiah these are the signs of the kingdom and where you see the signs of the kingdom the kingdom is there and so whether it is authority over evil spirits whether it is authority over sicknesses and diseases or whether it is authority in preaching the gospel these are the signs of the kingdom and I believe that this generation has yet to see what it will be like when the people of God rise up as under this anointing to exercise the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. I thought you'd be a little more excited about that, but anyway, I know, I know. No, it's okay, I know. Now, okay, let me move on. 
haven't time to clap let's move on the authority of Jesus was given to his disciples there is no doubt about that mark chapter 3 verses 14 to 15 then Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons so he gave this power to his disciples and we can see very clearly amongst the twelve that happening the great teacher who recently went to be with Jesus uh, Derek Prince used to say and I have had no reason to contradict him he says there is no occasion in which Jesus sends people out to preach the gospel other than that he also along with that commission gives them power to heal sicknesses and to drive out demons so if you believe God has called you to preach the gospel how many people believe that God's called you to preach the gospel careful there's a second question coming now alright so I really really mean it how many people believe that God has sent you out to preach the gospel the rest of you you don't know it yet but you have been you're just scared in case I might trick you with the next question well it wasn't the trick the next question is do you now believe that you are also anointed and appointed to perform signs and wonders and miracles in the name of Jesus what does the Bible say these signs shall follow a handful of people who are more enthusiastic than the rest these signs shall follow a couple of very highly individualistically anointed people no these signs shall follow who those who believe full context and preach the gospel not just those who believe with a full context is who preach the gospel because it says then they went out and preached the gospel everywhere the Lord working with them confirming his words with signs that accompanied it and so many scriptures could be quoted to show that the disciples of Jesus were given that same authority even before Jesus had gone to the cross because the Spirit of God was upon him and in some way he anointed them in a way or gave them the power and authority to do it but now bringing a little more closer to us this authority was given to believers after the resurrection not just the 12 but to believers I've already given you that clue from Mark 16 verse 17 I've quoted it so let's have a look at it next Mark 16 verse 17 and these signs will follow those who believe in my name they'll cast out demons they will speak with new tongues and then you need to read the rest of the chapter to see that's in the context of the Great Commission backing up a bit to another familiar passage Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20 it says and Jesus came and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth now so far so good we're not in the habit of doubting that but what we need to see is that when he goes to verse 19 and commissions the church believers not just his his closest disciples but all of us this is our job he commissions us in his authority he says I have received all authority in heaven and earth and you might say therefore I am gonna go and get the job done that he didn't say I'm going back to my father but I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit because I am sending you to preach the gospel I'm sending you to make disciples of all nations now you don't have to be uh, a graduate 
in philosophy or in logic or have various degrees in science or, or, or any degree at all to know that when Jesus says, I have authority and I'm sending you out, he means also for us to understand, I am giving you authority. I'm commissioning you. I'm anointing you. I'm appointing you. I'm giving you my authority for you to act in my name to get the job done. Hallelujah. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Now we're going to have a look at a few scriptures showing how this was demonstrated by the church of Acts because you know we may argue that in the times of the Gospels that what we see there is not really for us you know because there's Jesus walking around in the flesh and we don't see him in the flesh and and uh, and you know if Jesus was here I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever if um, we suddenly got a, a message an angel and it says hello my name's Gabriel and I say what you want Gabriel he says no not 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 your assistant <laughs> I work for directly for God and it's the angel Gabriel and he said all right tonight I want you to know that Jesus in person is coming to the seven o'clock service I'll tell you there would be no doubt in anybody's mind that absolutely every single person would be saved, healed, blessed, delivered, made sad or mad, whichever the reaction is, glad or mad, by the presence of Jesus Christ. And so we say, that's good. It's all very well for the Gospels. If only we lived in the times of the Gospels. I wish I was there. But he's not here, so I guess we just have to put up with Colin Dye and the rest of them. Aha, I've got news for you. Let me build up. So in Acts chapter 1 verse 1, Luke is writing the second part of his treatise or his presentation. The first part is the third gospel, the gospel of Luke. And it's two volumes. He had a series. It was like, you know, volume 1, volume 2. Acts is volume 2. And it's the same story. It's the same story. It's the continuing story of the things that Jesus did. Let's have a look. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Notice the doing is even before the teaching. And we'd feel very strange if we said, okay, we can have signs and wonders before the preaching of the word. But that's how it happened with Jesus. His miracles were in evidence first. And they said, who is this guy? What's he saying? So, it's so important what Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, when it says Jesus began, the implication is, as he's going to go on and talk about the things that Jesus continued to do. But after a few verses, Jesus disappears. Goes to heaven. But in Acts 1 verse 8, the Holy Spirit comes. And so, Jesus is continuing to preach, to heal and to deliver through his body on the earth. That's us. And so, this, when they call this book the Acts of the Apostles, we could perhaps more accurately say these are the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And not just the Apostles. Because it wasn't just the apostles who are talked about in the book of Acts. And we see, of course, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost.
Pentecost and that from that moment onwards these these guys are never the same not just the the what was left of the 12 the 11 plus Matthias making the new 12 but the 120 every single one of them men and women uh, young and old were equally anointed it was Peter who became the had the privilege of preaching the first Pentecostal sermon the first sermon of the of the Christian era and he preached and 3,000 come and then in, in Acts chapter 5 we find that there's so many people who are, are getting saved and healed in Acts chapter 3 there's the healing of the lame man Acts chapter 5 let's look at that Acts chapter 5 uh, remember in Acts, well, we turn these are Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter said, Silver and gold have we none, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Jesus passed that man several times, many times. He, Jesus didn't heal him. He said to himself, I'm leaving you for Peter. And so this is Jesus healing through Peter. It was still Jesus doing it, but now it was in a different way by the anointing of the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 5, which is one of the most astonishing statements of all in the book of Acts verses 14 to 15 it says and believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them Wow! This is amazing. And you know why it's amazing? It's not just that miracles were happening, but have a look at Mark 6, verse 56, talking about Jesus in his ministry when he was on this earth. Wherever he, Jesus, entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid their sick in the marketplaces and begged that he might just, that they might just touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched him were made whole now when Luke is recording this he is deliberately drawing the parallel with the gospel and so what he's saying is Jesus is still with us he's alive and well and living in his body the church the first body was his own physical body the second body that he inhabits and lives in by the Spirit is the body of believers, the Church of Jesus Christ. We are his representatives in the world. And you may say, well, all right, I'd like to have been there. You don't have to go back very many decades before you could be standing outside of this church. In the days of George Jeffries, who was the founder of Kensington Temple, and when I got saved, I, got, I wasn't saved exactly in this church. I was baptized in this church in 1972. I was very, very young. Well, 18 years of age, that's young enough, never mind. All right, so stop calculating my age, I'll tell you. I'm 58 years young and still going strong. Now, an old lady, I mean, she was old. No, much older than that. She said, in the days of George Jeffreys, the sick would be lining outside the stairs of the church. And as he passed by, they were healed. There was no room in the church. That's how she spoke. I don't know why I imitated her, but I suppose I wanted you to have something of the same experience I had. Just hearing that, amazing. Absolutely amazing. 
And uh, now uh, you say, okay, well that's in the days of the George Jeffreys revival. There are more miracles happening today than in the days of George Jeffreys. None of us are standing up saying, look, we're as good as him or better than him. That's what we're not interested in that. But the miracles are multiplying, not just upon individuals, but upon the body of Christ. But I know what this is like. I know that experience. We were in Kenya and uh, whatever year it was, I can't remember right now, and, um, uh, and great miracles had happened and it was amazing and that's not the story. Three years later we came back to the same place and as we went to the villages, they came out from the villages and said, look what happened and they were giving us testimonies and stories of things we didn't even know about. We remember that everybody, perhaps maybe about one person, was healed during that season of absolutely anything they had. Anything at all. We took it in turns through the night to go to the door and pray for the sick. And three years later they came out, oh, that, those, those preachers are back. And they were talking about how there were uh, clothing that was, people were wearing in those meetings and went back home and, and deaf and dumb were healed as, as they laid their clothing upon the people. I don't know why or how they did that, but God honored their faith. And then we were going further down the road to preach at another place where we felt God led us to be. And so they knew every evening we'd be passing by that way. And they brought the sick out onto the road so that they might be healed even as our vehicle drove by. Amen. Amen. Yeah, give God glory. Come on. Come on. Come on! There is nothing impossible with God. There is nothing impossible with the anointing of God. And that is simply our birthright as men and women surrendered to the kingdom of God, anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and knowing how to use the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Am I stirring your faith today? Amen. Great. Okay. So here we are. Where were we? <laughs> I got carried away. Oh yes, Peter. Um, uh, he, he, they were, uh, uh, as Peter was preaching, they brought the sick into the streets and, and just, just in case, his shadow might touch them and they, and they would be healed. And so we find that the authority of Jesus Christ was operating in these early believers. In Acts chapter 9, we have this... Uh, wonderful story of Peter raising the dead Tabitha and you you look at that I'll just give you verse 40 but Peter put them all out what did he do put them all out why did he do that he'd seen Jesus do that raising the dead what did, what did the master do he said get rid of all the unbelief get rid of all the whalers because they were professional whalers in those days you know people you give them some money they go and if you weren't very popular, you made sure that there was enough money in your will so that people would be mourning at your funeral. And that's professional wailers and mourners. Get rid of them! I don't want these wailers and mourners, these unbelieving believers. Get them out! I want an atmosphere of faith. So Peter had seen Jesus do it, and by now, I don't think he was just copying the mechanics of Jesus' actions. I think he had had an understanding of the spiritual dynamics that were involved. And so Peter had modeled his ministry on what he'd seen Jesus do. And he said, I, don't, I, want, I want faith in this place. Get rid of all the people who are going to distract me. 
and you read it, it's almost word for word, blow by blow account of how Jesus did it. He got rid of them, put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, raising from the dead the same Jesus that was working in gospel stories is working in the church in the book of Acts now Acts 19 verse 11 there is a statement now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul and uh, there was a great revival that broke out in this place a great revival and I've often thought about that God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so uh, what is it what's what's an unusual miracle it means miracles were usual but some were unusual so in a time when there were amazing miracles people only started talking about the unusual ones because miracles were happening just as in Jesus day and these were unusual miracles at the hands of Paul we've got to get this right and it's difficult to explain because we all know that God does it yes not us God does it and if God isn't doing it we can't do it but we could almost say if we won't if we can't or we won't God won't either it was it's almost that way not all the time because God can do, do whatever he wants to do okay but he, what he wants to do is to work through us how amazing how amazing that our voice and our speech could be so anointed that we can say blind eyes open and they do I, I remember the first time I saw that happen with my own eyes my team who was with me suddenly became very deferential oh, you go first you go first and I felt so puny because I know Colin Dye can't do it so I could have said well God bless you lady good night and left it I don't think she'd have been healed because I was the person at that point at that time whom God was calling and anointing to do it so I did blind eyes open and they did why because I is the way of saying it how how how, how, how do you Did you notice the way he stood? <laughs> How to heal the sick one on one, healing the sick for dummies. <laughs> Blind eyes open. No, 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 not quite like that. Try again. Blind eyes open. <laughs> Blind eyes open. Ah, open. Oh, that's it. No, you know it's none of that, isn't it? But God worked unusual miracles, how? By the hands of Paul. He commands us to heal the sick. We can't do it without him. 
Do you understand this? It's hard to explain because we know we can't do it, but we are involved in some kind of a way. We don't know. I can't explain it. I just know that it's like a kind of partnership that God in His incredible grace will so equip us and so fill us with whatever we need to be full of at that time, so endow us with spiritual authority, whatever we need at that precise moment, that we word through our lips are as powerful as the words were spoken through His very mouth. And considering we are the body of Christ, I suppose it's understandable. Amen? It doesn't happen through timidity. You know, and sin doesn't happen through intellectualism. In fact, sometimes brain gets in the way. When I was praying for that blind lady, and I knew I had this sense that I had to command it, it's not always the case. You can pray and it can happen, and sometimes you have to command it, you know, uh, uh, whatever, but you have to be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit's on you. And I felt the Holy Spirit was strongly on me to make that strong statement and, and, and so on. And, and, I, and as I was about to make it, these, these thoughts went to my mind. I wish this person was deaf and not blind. Because if I speak to an ear, ears are made for listening. So my little logic was saying, that'll be easier. If only she was blind, because I've got to speak to eyes. And eyes are meant for looking and not listening. And anyway, those eyes can't see. That's what was going through my mind. Stupid. How many know it was nothing to do with my little mental reasoning? You're laughing now. <laughs> When you have to do it, you won't be laughing. <laughs> Amen. So, you know, it's not about logic and analysis. It's about faith. And faith springs you into a realm beyond which the impossible becomes possible under the anointing and authority of God. Hallelujah. Now, this same authority is available to today's church. Not just the church of the New Testament or the church of great revival periods of time or the, or the early Pentecostal period. Today. Now. Now. Available. How do I know that? Acts 1 verse 8. Turn to it or just look up the screen. Now I invite you always to bring your Bibles with you. Uh, iPads, telephones, and all the rest of it, but simply because it's written up here, you know, so keep, keep bringing your Bibles or your, whatever your devices you use, so you get used to handling the Word of God, but it's hopefully written up behind you on a little peek and see, is it? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, yes it is, thank you very much. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, power is ability. It's the word dynamis, which is connected with the word to be or to be able, ability. I think sometimes preachers have got us a bit mixed up when they say, dynamis, you know, dynamite man, dynamite. Well, dynamite indicates explosion, doesn't it? And sometimes this ability is not about exploding. It's just about an ability. 
an ability, a supernatural ability. You shall receive power and you shall be witnesses to me. It's power for witness. That's what it's all about. Ability to witness for Christ. Now what is a witness? A witness in a court of law is somebody who produces proof. If you are ever a witness in a court of law, they want to know what you have seen and they want it as evidence. They don't want opinion. And under cross-examination, you better make sure that your evidence that you are presenting is sound. Because the, the uh, prosecution or the, the, the counsel for defense will tear your evidence to shreds. And so, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a supernatural ability to produce proof concerning who I am. That's supernatural. That's supernatural. And you know, I don't understand why we Pentecostal charismatic believers don't make more of this because we really do have some answers. We have some answers. I know miracles are not evidence that's going to convince the heart of heart. I know that. I was walking somewhere sometime, there was a bit of water, trying to lead somebody to Christ and talk to them about it. They were so argumentative. He said, well, if you walked across this water, then I'd believe. And I thought about it, but I didn't, I didn't fall for it. Because that was him, it wasn't God talking. If God was talking, I'd love to have given it a try. But you know, you could walk on water and they'll say to you, well, can't you swim? What's the matter with you? One guy said, if, if, you, if you walked up that wall and hung from the ceiling by your feet, I'd believe. I said, no, you wouldn't. You would accuse me of having suckers on my shoes. He said, yeah, I would as well. So, hey, I'm not talking about that. But you know, people want to know that this is real. Because there are, there are so many opinions out there. So many ideas. And they're all different. So people say, well, it's all the same. Some say this, some say the other. It doesn't really matter. If you want to have faith, it's up to you. If it makes you feel good, it's all right. But don't push your stuff on me, man. So I remember some hippie and I was witnessing in my hippie days. Don't push your trip on me, man. Push your trip on me. What do you mean? Push my trip on you. This is not a trip. This is reality. Amen and amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. And whether you've got a hippie mindset saying, Don't push your trip on me, man. You can put it another way saying, Well, I'm very glad for you. That's your opinion. You can say it many, many ways, but people need more than what they consider to be your opinion and your perspective. They need something that's going to shake them and say, wow, there's something in this. It's not enough just to say, especially in those days in the New Testament, to say, Jesus is raised from the dead. Everything will be launched against you. And those days may well be coming back to Britain. But those days already exist in different parts of the world. You cannot live 
by standing up and saying Jesus is alive because if Jesus is alive you are drawing attention to other religious leaders who are dead and if you say if Jesus was raised from the dead not only was he crucified for the sins of the world but he is resurrected again and he is Lord so challenging and in those days in the Roman Empire to say Jesus is Lord is to commit the offense of rebellion against the Roman Empire the Christians were called atheists because they refused to believe in the God of their generation which was the Roman Emperor and they refused to worship the Roman Empire. what's the matter with you you are a bunch of atheists and a man was taken to be killed and he said you will save you you're an old man will save you if you just say away with the atheists in other words away with the Christian brothers and sisters so he turned to all the authorities and the dignitaries and say yes I will say it away with you atheists and he went straight to his martyrdom and he'd rather die and give in and so in that kind of environment dear friends you can't just walk around saying Jesus is raised from the dead you better have some power with you you better have some way of demonstrating your message of saying we know that Jesus Christ is alive and there are at least three ways of doing that number one powerful preaching that arrests people the preaching of Jesus the anointing of Jesus so when the soldiers came to arrest him they were arrested by his preaching they said wow and the meeting over they say well, what are you what are you coming oh we were supposed to arrest him why didn't you arrest him oh he was so interesting nobody's ever preached like this authoritative preaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit oh God oh God oh God how we need it more than ever before can I have some amens in this place and it's you as well not just those official preachers who perhaps are called to stand on public platforms to do this but you are called to be witnesses to Jesus amen we are all called to be witnesses to Christ in other words when you share your testimony under the power of the Holy Spirit you may do it in the canteen uh, in your lunch break and say well of course and you just share some things and you say it so sweetly and so nicely and so you know uh, without too much fuss and it, because the anointings on it people are wow tell us more tell us more and you don't know why they are so drawn to you well you do because it's not you but the anointing of the Spirit giving you power and authority amen so it is through preaching the gospel under the anointing of the Spirit it is also through sharing your testimony and sharing what's happened to you in your life when Paul went to Thessalonica he preached the gospel so many wonderful things happened and then he writes to them saying do you know what ever since I came to Thessalonica when I went on my on my journey around this these places I found that I didn't have to do anything they told me about how you had turned to God from idols to serve the true and the living God they said we know who you are you're that Paul fella who visited Thessalonica who preached in such a way that brought change into people's lives we know you we know your message and how real it is because we have seen its effects on people who have surrendered to Christ Wow! 21st century Britain 2012 we need it Amen, Amen. 
And then, of course, the third way we produce proof Jesus is alive, by the very signs and wonders. And it's not just that we have to do this, you know, to, to, to prove this before cynics and skeptics. A number of years ago, there was a whole lot of programs on BBC television, a lot of controversy in the city over some uh, ministering evangelist, and, and they were trying very hard to discredit and disprove. And uh, I, I was involved in that, and I wrote an article, British Skepticism, and it was all about these, these humanists and atheists who were, who were trying to make programs to prove that there's no such thing as people being healed. And um, there was a story in that program of a young boy who had a certain form of cancer, a young boy, a certain form of cancer in his arm and, uh, a, you know, amputation was the treatment. Cut this arm off and then cancer will not spread because, of course, the arm's gone. Cut the arm off. And for some reason, whether it was experimental or whatever, or whether it was because the parents persuaded, I don't know, but there was prayer made for the boy. And they said, please don't cut his arm off we believe in God. The doctors agreed, okay, they agreed, and uh, the boy's cancer disappeared. Amen. And you'd think they'd be saying, Amen, praise God. But the BBC said, well, we don't know about this because normally we cut the arms off. We left this arm on and maybe that was what, that's the result of leaving his arm on. And, and, and when they came to miracles, they couldn't explain. They said, had people saying, well, of course, you know, there are many things that medical science can't understand today. But if there is a, something that we call a miracle today, we'll discover tomorrow that it wasn't because our knowledge is growing and growing and growing. Yeah, and you're getting dumber and dumber and dumber. <laughs> so this kind of stuff, don't think that people are going to dance for joy when you get healed. But God will use it. Not everybody will. Some will. But the important thing is, is that it is a demonstration of the power of God. If people could sit through Jesus' ministry and he never got it wrong, we get it wrong. Don't we, Christian? Sometimes. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm so sure that this person's been healed. It's so clear. And afterwards, oh no. It didn't happen like we thought. It's a shame, isn't it? But we can get it wrong. Jesus never got it wrong. Never got it wrong. He said, oh, I'm sorry, ran out of power today. Oh, no, no, no. He never refused anybody. And, and uh, there was nobody came back and said, you know, why? Why didn't you heal me? You know, you said you were healed and I'm not. No, no, no. I mean, people could be in the presence of that level of healing ministry, the anointing of Jesus Christ himself, there in the very flesh, and still not believe. Still not believe. Because you see, miracles don't replace faith. Always, it has to be a step of faith. But when we see miracles, it can confirm our faith. It can encourage our faith. And we can say, well, we maybe need to listen to this because there's something here. There's a power in this room. His name is Mr. Holy Spirit. And he is so powerful that puny Colin Dye or anybody else who ministers from this platform need never worry and rely only on what God can do, not what we can do. And that power is greater than any force of politics, government, military, economics or religion. Amen. Mr. Holy Spirit, the anointing of God upon our lives. Hallelujah. Amen, amen and amen. Well, I have four minutes and 44 points. No, no, no. <laughs> four minutes and four points to my conclusion. 
Let me see. I've told you now, so I'll have to finish it. Okay? Restoring this authority. Number one, very quickly and simply, the authority of the word. Acts 19, 19 to 20. This is the end of the story where Paul was, God was working extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. As many as those who practiced magic brought their books together and burnt them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Find out how much that is in today's money. Most margins of the Bible will convert it for you. A lot of money. Verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The secret of authority is the word of God. The word of God is directly from God. It's not the word of man. And if we handle it as the word of God and receive it as the word of God, it has power, it has authority, and is beyond contradiction. And if we restore our confidence in Scripture and know that no Scripture is given by private interpretation, but it is a prophecy, a word directly from God, because holy men spoke as they were moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, God's Word carries authority. Get back into the book and I know I don't know, I just know Bruce's titles, but I'm so sure and so certain that Bruce will cover this point at some point in his series about the authority of the Word of God. And we got to get back to that because there's so many people, this is the Word of God, that's the Word of God, you have your book, we have our book. No, there is but one book, the Holy Scripture, sacred, unique writings God. Amen. Don't let anybody rob you of your confidence in the Word of God. Okay, one word of God. Hmm. Two minutes on that point. I've got to be 30 seconds on each of these. Are you timing me? My time starts now. The authority of the Spirit. Acts 5.32 And we are witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of witness. And under the anointing of God, your little thing, things can become big things. Your weak words can become strong words. Hallelujah. Great. Number three. The authority of faith. Oh. Kensington Temple is a faith church. Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. Amen. If you go up and Google my name on the internet, don't listen to the rubbish people say. But one of the things they accuse me of is being a faith preacher. So thank you, Jesus. Somebody has heard the fact. Yes, we are faith people. And faith brings authority. Jesus says, Mark 11, 23 to 24, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those, that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Before that Jesus says, Have the faith of God. That's how I translate it. It's a genitive case in the Greek. The faith of God. Have God's faith. You mean God has faith? You better be sure God has faith. And Ellie said, you better, but you don't bet. Of course God has faith. What is faith? Confidence in the Word of God. Who has more confidence in God's Word than God Himself? So what that means is, with this God kind of faith, God's word through your mouth has as much authority as God's word through his own mouth. That's faith. 
stirred up. I know this is a Bible study, but you can get a bit happy. The number four, the authority of the name of Jesus. Amen. Acts 4, 9 to 10. This is the aftermath of the uh, healing of the lame man. Peter is saying, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands whole before you all. Wow! The name of Jesus is the name of Jesus given to a few apostles so they can do mighty works and write epistles or is the name of Jesus given to us all how are we saved by the name of Jesus how are we healed by the name of Jesus why are we baptized through the name of Jesus Every single thing that we have and possess has come to us by the name of Jesus. And it's not just repeating in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. But it's understanding the authority that there is in the name of Jesus. So, the series comes to an end. Jesus, our great King, has left in our hands the, his, uh, the authority of His name whereby we can learn to exercise our authority and train for the day when we shall reign with him forever and ever in heaven. Give Jesus a mighty praise in this place. God bless you. Don't forget. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Christian.